welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown me strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. You can do it louder. Okay, Merry Christmas. Awesome. We're so glad you guys are here. It's fun to have it as a family service. If you're a kid that's normally in children's ministry, you want to raise your hand so we know you're here. We are stoked you guys are with us. And you guys can be in here anytime. I always say that every time we have family service. You guys can be in here anytime. Your parents are like, no, you can't. But we're like, yeah, you can. And we give away candy every time. So you want to be in here to hear us, but we're so thankful for you guys. This morning is one of the most famous Christmas passages there is, and probably one of the most famous passages in all of literature, actually. It's historically called the Annunciation or the Announcement, and it's when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she will be the mother of the Messiah. And and notice that Mary's response is a response of wonder. Take a look at verse 26 again. Oh, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, just Google ESV Luke 1, and you can follow along with us. This is a look at the Bible kind of thing, okay? It's super important because I'm going to be pointing at it and you're going to be like, there it is. Okay. Notice that Mary's response to this announcement is wonder. Verse 26, the angel Gabriel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall 
call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So Mary's response here is she's troubled, she's confused, she's filled with wonder. She's probably thinking like, I think you have the wrong address, I think you have the wrong person, you know, and, and she's like, why me? And that's a great question, why Mary? And the first answer we can say to why Mary or why this announcement is that God's fulfilling his covenant promises that he's made over thousands of years at this point. And if you've been with us for the last month, you've seen these covenant promises, but God made his first promise of the Messiah right after the first human beings fell into sin. So Adam and Eve sinned, and immediately, before they even left the garden, God promised Eve that one day a son would be born who would come and defeat Satan and sin and death and would reverse the curse and give them the garden back. Isn't that amazing? God's so gracious that right on the heels of their sin, he announces this son that would come one day. Many years later in 2000 BC, God promised this same child to Abraham, uh, a son that would bless all nations, that somehow a child would come from Abraham's line that would bless people from every single nation. And then a thousand years later, a thousand BC, God promised a son to David. And this time it was a king that would reign forever. And this is the promise of the same son going throughout these covenants. You can see in verse 32, the Davidic promise, the promise of a king to David. It says, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. So David too was promised this son and that he would reign as king and he'd rank as king forever and his kingdom would grow over the whole world. And in all these cases, it's the same son, the same Messiah, and the promise gets clearer and clearer as it goes. So the first answer to like why this announcement is God's fulfilling his covenant promises. But you might ask, well, why Mary specifically though? right? Why Mary specifically? Because there's a lot of women that would fulfill the promise to Eve that could have had this child. There's a lot of Jewish women, which would fulfill the promise to Abraham. There's a lot of Jewish women from David's line that would fulfill the promise to David. Why Mary specifically? She's young. She's probably like 14, something like that. She's unmarried. Uh, She's poor. She's from a, a very insignificant town. You know, later Nathaniel would say, what good could come from Nazareth? She's from that kind of a place. And um, there are certainly more obvious choices for the mother of Messiah at that time. Higher status women, perhaps. Um, more socially connected. Wealthier, you know, to be the mother of the king of the world. More refined. Maybe a woman who actually lives in Bethlehem. That would be more convenient. But the ultimate answer to why Mary is actually grace. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's God having favor on her. Look at verse 28. The angel calls her, O favored one. You know, she's being favored by God. She's being given grace by God. Uh, Or verse 30, you have found favor with God. And, And I mention this because throughout church history, there have been some that theorized that it was Mary because she was righteous, more righteous than anyone, or sinless, or a doctrine had even developed that Mary too was born of a virgin, and therefore sinless person, and that because she's a sinless person, she could be the mother of the Messiah. And the problem with all of this is, well, the Bible. If you look at verse 46, she says, she calls the Lord God my Savior. You know, Mary knew she needed a Savior too. Mary knew she was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like the rest of us. And the other problem with this is that it changes the whole meaning of Christmas. If, if Mary receives Jesus 
as her child because she's more righteous or she's sinless, it changes the whole meaning of Christmas. It makes Christmas into the message of Jesus is for people like Mary who really have their act together. Or the message of Christmas being Jesus only comes to live in sinless people like Mary. You see how this alters the whole message of the gospel? Because that's not the message of the gospel at all. The message of Christmas is that Jesus has come for unholy people and sinners. Unholy people and sinners. He's come to give grace. He's come to forgive all your sin. He's come to actually forgive your sin and then live in the filthy stable of your heart and make all things new from the inside out. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act and then he'll come into you. He's going to come into you and man, he's going to have lots of effects in your life. He's going to transform your life. Now, Mary actually is a kind of model of the Christian faith. She's the first person to ever know the identity of the long-awaited Messiah. Plenty of people were saved through the Messiah by looking forward. Mary's the first one to know his name, that his name will be Jesus. She's the first one to place her faith in the name of Jesus. God called Mary by grace, and God's calling us by grace too. Paul talked about this. He said in 1 Corinthians 1, listen, he's talking to you guys, and he's saying this as Christians. He's saying to you, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. This is a real um, like, uh, ego booster. Prepare for it. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen the low and despised of the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That God has actually called and chosen people from all over the world that, like Mary, are sinners, lowly, not people that had their act together. And that's the message that Jesus has come for us. And guys, one way you can know that you've begun to grasp the, the gospel is that you have that sense of wonder that Mary had. That you're like, why me? <laughs> why would God call me? Why would he come for me? Why would God the Son come to live in me? When you have that wonder of like, maybe you have the wrong address, you know? That's when you know that you're grasping the gospel. And the only answer is like, why you? Why me? He just loves me. And he always has from eternity past. And because of his great love, he sent his son Jesus to, to pay my sin and to bring me to himself. And I have no idea why. Do you guys know why you? You're like, actually, that's pretty smart. And I was really good at studying the Bible and, you know, really kind of pulled my life together. And then God was like, man, I want him on my team. That's not the way it was, right? He came to us when we weren't looking for him, right? It's all grace. It's all grace. So Christmas is the news of this God of grace becoming a man. Take a look at verse 34. Mary's question changes from why me to how will this be? Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, she's like, I just had, you know, eighth grade science class. I know how this works. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the answer that the angel gives Mary is the doctor of the virgin birth. Look at verse 35. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the doctrine of the virgin birth, or more accurately, the doctrine of the virgin conception, that Jesus was miraculously conceived in Mary 
so that he has a real human mother and no human father. Or as our Belgic Confession says, this is great the way this is written in the 1500s, the eternal son of God truly assumed a real human nature with all its weakness except for sin, being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. Don't you love that for a 16th century euphemism? Without male participation. Um, Kids, if you don't know why we're laughing, ask your parents. This would be a great thing for you guys to do on Christmas Eve. I mean, Chris, there's a lot about this, right? Virgin and like, how can this be? And the kids probably don't know. This would be a great day to explain some things to them. Like, I'm never bringing my kid to the family service again. So why is the virgin birth important? The virgin birth is important for several reasons. It fulfills prophecy. In uh, Isaiah 7, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. So the Messiah was promised to be from a virgin. But it also fulfills a more cryptic promise. You guys remember the promise back in Genesis 3.15? That a seed of the woman would come and defeat the serpent? Seed of the woman, really weird way to talk, not seed of the man, seed of the woman. Somehow this child would be uniquely from a woman, but not from a man, right? It's pointing to the reality that he would come without male participation, okay? Now, the virgin birth also means that Jesus is both God and human. Look at verse 32. He will be called great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Do you see his two identities there? He's son of the most high, in that he's God, he's God the Son, and he also is a descendant of David. So on the one hand, he is the Son of God, he is God's Son, and on the other hand, he is descended from the line of David through Mary, okay? Jesus is one person with two natures. He has always had a divine nature because he's the eternal Son of God, and in the virgin birth, he added a human nature, okay? So he's one person, two natures, divine and human. But he's not half God and half man. He's fully God and fully man. And when we say that he's fully God, it means that he didn't lose any of his godness when he became a man, okay? The the son did not give up any of his divine attributes. He didn't trade his deity for humanity. He added humanity to his deity. It's an addition, not a subtraction, so that he's both God and man. This is cool. Because he's fully God, we know exactly what God is like. You guys realize that? Sometimes people think that Jesus is the nicer side of God, right? And that there's, you know, this is the nicer side of God. This is, this is God coming in a, in a more friendly form. Because Jesus is fully God, he is exactly what God is like. Remember that he said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So he is exactly what God is like. And I think some people need to hear that. Some people have this sense of like, I like Jesus, but I have a feeling that there's something like a, a, a more sinister, thin-on-grace God somewhere behind him. Jesus is exactly what God is like. Do you like Jesus? When you read the Gospels, do you just, are you just drawn to him? You're thinking like, wow, he's an amazing person. The good news, guys, is that that is exactly what God is like. He's so much better than we expected. And because he's fully human, he is a real man. He has the DNA of Eve and Abraham and David and Mary in his body, but not Joseph, right? Real human DNA. He's just like us, but without sin. And it's not just that he's a man on the outside and God on the inside. Sometimes we think about him that way, that somehow it's humanity wrapped around deity. No, Jesus is fully human, not just a fully human body, but a fully human mind and soul. He has real human thoughts and emotions. He has a real human experience. 
You guys notice I'm using the present tense? You know why that is? Because he's still human. This is an amazing thing. In Colossians, it says, all the fullness of deity dwells, present tense, in bodily form in heaven. That he has retained his humanity. Isn't that amazing? So God, the Son, existing from eternity past, at one point, at the incarnation, he becomes a man, and he stays a man forever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that the eternal God would somehow, like, bind himself to us forever? It's amazing love, right? This is this amazing. Guys, this is actually the biggest miracle in history. I want to argue that. We can, we can debate it. But this is a bigger miracle than the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's one thing to, you know, Jesus was dead, raised him to life is a miracle. To give him an indestructible body, that's a miracle. To create the whole universe out of nothing by spoken words is a miracle. But it's a bigger miracle, wouldn't you say, for God to become a real human and remain God. It's, it's unfathomable. You just can't even figure out how it would work. You know, it's, it's the biggest miracle there is. And the virgin birth also is what makes our salvation possible. To be your savior, Jesus had to be both God and man. Um, the reason is, is that God is a holy judge. He must judge every sin because of his character. He must judge every sin. We've all sinned and broken God's law. And I think we can all agree to that, right? I just feel like just about everybody would nod their head to this. Have you sinned? Have you sinned frequently? Right? I think even if you go out in the world and you say like, you know, we believe that all people have sinned. I think most people even in our culture would go like, well, yeah. You know, the thing that they might not believe is that God must judge every sin because of his character. He must judge every sin. And so here we are. It looks like we're doomed and rightfully so. But here's the crazy thing. And I, you guys are probably used to this message. So you don't realize how wild this is. But here you are with sin. God must judge every sin. And then God does something really unexpected. He says, I'll pay for that myself. And you've heard that message a bunch of times, so maybe you don't think that that's the most wild thing ever. But it is, guys. There's no other invented religions of the world that would even say something like that, right? This is unique to Christianity. That God was like, you have a problem. I must judge your sin. And you know what? I'm just going to pay for it for you. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible, right? And so he had to become a man to do that because what we have is we have real human sin that must be paid for by a human. Only a human should pay for human sin. But then God is the only one that could pay for sin. So only humans should pay for sin and only God has the power. Only God could pay for sin. And so God became a real man, paid our whole sin debt himself. Every bit of it, satisfied it himself so that God's justice is satisfied and his mercy is fully expressed. It to fully express his justice and his mercy. Isn't that amazing? But that's not all. Another thing that we owe God is not just the payment of our sin, but because we're his creatures, we owe God human righteousness. We should obey his laws. And I don't know if you've looked at them lately. They're super reasonable, okay? Look at the Ten Commandments. There's nothing here that's like, you know, out of control, like, oh my gosh, he wants me to not kill people, you know? Or we got lying, we got adultery, all these things, like these are very clear standards that God has. And we are obligated not just to not sin, but to live righteously. And what's amazing is God became a man, Jesus became a man, so that he could at every stage of his life have real human righteousness on our account. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus gives to God the righteousness that we owe him, and it's human righteousness. 
wouldn't work for him to come down just as the son of God, not as a man, and do a bunch of righteous things. That's God righteousness. It needed to be human righteousness. And so in Christ, guys, God said, I'll pay for it all, and I'll provide all the human righteousness they need to be accepted. Isn't that amazing? It's totally amazing. Some people object to the virgin birth, and they just say, you know, I can't believe in that. It's just, it's unscientific. It's impossible. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, we never said it was not a miracle, right? It's just God breaking into the world. But the issue that I think a lot of people have with the virgin birth and with miracles in general is that, you know, God shouldn't be intervening. He shouldn't be, like, coming into the world and messing with it, you know? He shouldn't be breaking into this world. It's like, it's fine if you want to believe in God, but he better just, like, do spiritual things, like give you positive feelings and spiritual experiences, but he really shouldn't come into the world and like mess with things, you know, start tinkering with things. That would just make things chaotic, you know. He needs to stay in his lane. He stays over here. We have our own physical world, but guys, exactly what we needed was for God to break into the world, amen? You look at what sin has done to this world. We need God to break in. We're all out of solutions, aren't we? Anybody like, you know, this is something we haven't tried. We just need more education or just like positive feelings or something. Like you can't sprinkle enough education and positive feelings on this thing. We need God to break in. And we didn't just need God to like send help, send an angel or something. We need God to personally come into this world and make things right. And in, and in Christmas, that's what we have. God himself becomes a man to set things right, to trigger a new creation. And what's really cool about the virgin birth is it's the beginning of the new creation, right? It's the beginning of God breaking into this world, old world of sin and death with a new creation. And every time somebody comes to trust in that message, they become a part of that new creation. Like this morning, if you came in here and you're just like, you know, your family brought you, wasn't really something you really wanted to do, would have been nice to sleep in, it's kind of packed in here. But you're hearing this message and you're like, wow, God is good. You know, like, God is so good that he would do all this for me, that he would die for my sins, that he would even like live my righteousness. He doesn't just clean my slate and say, nah, get to it and build something to impress us all. It's like he built the thing to impress as well. And he gives us both forgiveness and his righteousness as a gift. If you're hearing that and you're like, that sounds amazing. I want that. And you trust in Christ today and you say, Lord, I want that. Please give me that. What's amazing is you will become a part of the new creation breaking into this world. Paul said this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Like you can move into the new year as a new creation. Christ in you, whole new life. Just ask him for it. Some people are like, well, you know, I need to kind of get serious. I need to straighten up my life and I need to get myself right with God, whatever that means. That's not what it's like. It's like you come to him, you turn to him, you repent, you receive Christ, and then he goes to work on you, Right? You don't have to ready yourself to take this at all. And so God gave Mary this amazing honor, right? She gets this amazing honor to be in the mother of the Messiah. She gets to be the one in whom the new creation starts. She gets to be the woman in the prophecy in Genesis 3 who would bear the son, who would crush the serpent and uh, restore the world. Um, she gets to be what the, the church fathers called the Theotokos. It means the God-bearer. That was the title they gave her. And it wasn't to honor her. It was to honor her son, Jesus, that she was actually carrying God in her body. She was the bearer of God. What an honor. It says in verse 48, she says, all generations will call me blessed. And we're like, yes, incredibly blessed. But it's a dangerous honor too, right? 
Can you think about the danger of this? What's the danger of a 14-year-old unmarried girl, you know, being the mother of the Messiah? Right? She's a 14-year-old unmarried girl in an ancient shame honor culture where dishonoring your family gets you ostracized, maybe killed. And they're just really not likely to believe the like, hey, don't worry, it's not what it looks like. This angel told me the Holy Spirit would make me a pregnant virgin. It's not like people back then were like gullible or dumb, and they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I, that happened to my, my cousin, you know? Like, no, they're not going to believe this, right? This is an incredibly dangerous mission. She could end up ostracized, poor, disgraced, or worse. So what's Mary's response to this amazing danger, this honor? Look at verse 48. This is the coolest thing. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Like it's a 14-year-old girl's faith. She hears this and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. How would you like to raise a kid like that? How would you like to be a kid like that? How would you like to be an adult like that? That God would call you to do something like that and your first response would be like, You know what? I'm your servant. I'm going to trust you. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm just going to trust you. It's amazing. It's an amazing courage. It's a courage that says, Lord, no matter what you command me and no matter what you allow to happen in my life, I'm all in. I'm going to trust you. You had that this morning? You know, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If I'm going to be disgraced for following Christ, for being associated with him, I'm your servant, Lord. If I'm going to be destitute, I'm your servant. If I'm going to be ostracized, I'm your servant. No matter what this does to my life, I trust you. Let it be done to me according to your word. And what's so cool about Mary is this is not like a, a sad resignation. Like, well, I guess I got to do what God wants me to do, right? Look at verse 46. It's a song. You just realize verse 46 through 55 is her song about it. She wrote a song about it. She's not like, oh, you know, I guess I'll do this. It'll be terrible, but, you know, I'm a heroic, faithful person, so I'm going to go for it. No, she's like, how do I feel? How do I feel? I wrote a song about it. And then she sings out the Magnificat. It's a joy that she has. And guys, what I want to tell you this morning is that this is the courage grace gives. You know, this is the courage the, the Lord wants all of his kids to have, wants us to grow, and it's a gift he wants to give us at Christmas, is that kind of courage. How can we have the courage of Mary? And I'm going to give it to you real quick. It's by seeing that you have the same grace she got. Like Mary, if you're a Christian this morning, if you trust in Christ, like Mary, you've been called by God. You know, Mary, when she endured all these hardships of her mission, she could remember that she didn't come up with this idea. This wasn't her plan. God specifically called her to do this thing. And all she needed to do was trust God's plan, right? And if you've come to Christ, I know one thing about you. God's called you too. This wasn't your idea. If you're a Christian this morning, it's not because it was your idea. It's because God himself called you to himself, by grace. You weren't looking for him. Mary wasn't looking for him. He came into your life. He invaded your life with grace. You are, like Mary, a favored one in Christ. Like Mary, you have found favor with God. And guys, we can take a whole lot of rejection, can't we, if we know we've been chosen by God? Could you take a whole lot of rejection knowing that you're chosen by God, right? You could take a whole lot of hardship knowing that you were called to this mission, so we go about the world, like Mary did, as those who have been chosen by God for his eternal plan. Ephesians says that you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that amazing? You're called to that. And like Mary, you're a part of Jesus' family. Mary wasn't just forgiven, she was family. 
And you can imagine that Mary never had to wrestle with like, I wonder how I stand with Jesus. You know, sometimes you guys wrestle with that, right? You wrestle with assurance, like where am I with God? Mary didn't wrestle with like, I wonder if Jesus and I are good, <laughs> right? She's his mom, right? His own family. She never worried about her status in the kingdom. It was unchangeable as she's the, the mother of the king. Guys, we too in Christ are a part of Jesus' family. Hebrews says that Jesus calls you, if you're a Christian, Jesus calls you his brother or sister. You realize that? How often you think about that? Calls you his brother or sister, your family. Guys, there's a whole lot of courage that comes with knowing Jesus is your big brother. Any of you guys have a big brother growing up? Walk around the playground different, right? Because you've got this big brother that you can rely on, somebody to protect you. Jesus is your brother. Like This gives us a whole lot of courage in this world. And then, like Mary, you carry Jesus. Bear with me on this. Mary had this amazing grace of having Jesus' presence with her for that nine months, living in her body, and then for years in her home. Imagine that, right? Imagine the presence of Jesus with you. You know, being that 14-year-old, unmarried, peasant girl in first century Nazareth, that's about the most vulnerable a person can be in the world. And yet she had the peace of knowing that within her, that child was God himself. Isn't that amazing? And the reality is in the gospel is that though Christ reigns in heaven, he's come to dwell in you by the Spirit. Colossians puts it this way, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Have you thought about that? That Jesus himself dwells in you by the Spirit. Like Mary, you carry Christ in the world. Like with Mary, he's always near to you, as near as your body. Like Mary, you're a kind of theotokos, a bearer of God. Amazing. Think about the peace that gives, the strength that gives. Because, you know, you think about the future, and this time of year I always think about the future. I always think about the next year. And you think about all the things that could happen and all the difficulties that could come and, and, and the uncertainties in life. And you wonder, like, am I going to have the strength to deal with it? You guys wonder about that? Am I going to have the strength to deal with it? And the culture will tell you, like, hey, you have the strength in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Just pull that strength down deep in you. But that's a lie, Right? The place we're going to find strength is Christ in us, that he dwells in us. So if you believe you've been chosen by God for this mission like Mary, which you have if you're a Christian, and if you believe your family of the king, his brother or sister, and if you believe that Christ lives in you, then we like Mary, come what may, can say, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this amazing gift that we would um, receive him. Lord, and we thank you for uh, Mary's courage in receiving your son, Jesus, into her. And we just thank you for the grace that you've given us in receiving him. And I just pray for anybody that's here, Lord, that just is feeling just really lost in this world. And this world does not provide a whole lot of direction, a whole lot of certainty. There's nothing sure or solid to stand on. The foundations are all shaken in our culture. Everything's so um, uncertain. And uh, Lord, for those who are here that are just feeling lost, I just pray, Lord, that they would see this gift of your Son that would make all things new for them. And so, Lord, I pray as Mary joyfully received Christ that we would receive him today and that we would go out in the courage she had and the courage of knowing that we're yours and nothing can change that. In the courage of knowing that the Spirit dwells in us, and because the Spirit's in us, Christ dwells in us.
Fill us more and more, Lord. And whatever we have to deal with tonight or tomorrow or the days that come, Lord, we just pray that we would trust in your presence in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.